This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Hey, what up? I'm Austin Hayden. I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Raymond. And <laughs> that's like Bane doing the Riddler. I don't know. I'm trying to do a voice modulator without <laughs> a voice modulator, and it's not going it's well. It's great. It's great. And welcoming uh, back to the show, we've got Lux. What up, Lux? come on, it's me, the Jersey Penguin. (laughs) I'm from near Philadelphia. I like like how how they can't really agree on what the Gotham dialect is in this movie. Like, all the cops and DA guys are all just kind of doing sort of vaguely New Yorker-y, vaguely city, vaguely New Jersey. Well, all the cops and DA guys sound like... Like sound like they all smoke shitty vaporizers and turn the heat up too high because they're all like they're all like right here and they're like look this is the situation in Gotham my throat does anyone does anyone have a chrysanthemum tea I'm not gonna I don't have a lot more time where I could do this voice like it's great it's wild that they all did gravel voice is is Gotham supposed to be like New York yeah, or is it supposed to be a microcosm for America? Is it like uh, just some sort of idea of any nation state or any city? Like what's, what's the deal? What is just Gotham south supposed of New York in okay. New Jersey? I, <laughs> okay. I've always thought of Gotham <laughs> okay. as like 1970s New York and yeah. Metropolis as like 1990s New York, basically. Yeah, that's pretty true. It's like Gotham, Gotham has been by turns like New York, Chicago other cities but when they put it on a map it's right by new york in this imaginary world where you just got two new yorks right next to each other and no they never talk about each other ever but they're both right there one one is the financial capital of the world and the other's just a cesspool yeah <laughs> all right well if you couldn't tell by this um illuminating discussion about what gotham actually is we're going to be talking about the new the batman film just came out is it only in theaters at the moment or is it streaming i think it's, in the I think it's coming well? to hbo max in like 45 days or something yeah it's got the 45 day window Okay, cool. So it's directed by Matt Reeves, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell in makeup. And if you didn't know it was Colin Farrell, you probably wouldn't have known it was Colin Farrell. Um, So anyway, as always, we're going to do, as we always do, go around and get some first impressions. But before we do that, I do want to make sure that I remind y'all that we do have a Twitter. So make sure you check out our Twitter. It's SMTM underscore POD. That's SMTM underscore POD. Um, you can also follow Wisecrack on Insta. I just found out that we've got a TikTok, which is like a joint uh, show me the meaning and also culture binge. It's uh, Wisecasts um, on TikTok. We currently have two followers. So get your asses over there and follow our ish 
on TikTok. I have a TikTok with uh, a little bit of people, and I used to do stuff, and I haven't been making content, but maybe now I'm just going to start, like, duetting and sharing and responding to things that uh, that we're sharing on our TikTok as well. So check that out. Also check out Culture Binge, all that stuff. Admin stuff out of the way. Let's go around and do first impressions. Lux, I don't know how many times you've seen this, but let's start with you. Uh, initial initial thoughts on your experience of the Batman, either the first time or if you've seen it a couple of times and spent six hours of your last couple of weeks watching the Batman. Uh, just give, give us your thoughts. I liked a lot of it. I hated a decent amount of it. Some of it was fine. <laughs> uh, it's probably the movie, the superhero movie that most obviously is hamstrung by being PG-13 of any mm. that I've seen or at least I've been thinking about lately. Interesting. Um, well, like, without kind of going and skipping too far ahead, in what ways do you think it's hamstrung? I just think PG-13? that a movie that is so interested in the consequences of violence and the dirtiness and sort of corruption of the world that can't real that has to cut away from hard violence and like has to cut away specifically from the consequences of hard violence and like can't really show the sort of scale of indulgence and like decadence that it keeps accusing people of because that would be too much on screen is, like, doing itself a mondo disservice. Mm. The fact that the Penguin doesn't have a fucking cigar is a disaster to me. That's just one of many sort of in that zone. So this is one of those films that's still trying as much as possible to be a four-quadrant film. That's, yeah. It can't seem to decide. Yeah, it, like, twists itself into a pretzel trying to trying to stay just on this side of R. And it feels yeah. like the movie's yeah. at war with it. It feels like it's trying to have its cake and eat it, too. Yep. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure we can get into, okay. into that more as as the the podcast progresses. But yeah, the the cigar thing is one thing. I know that's I, it, maybe that's a big thing if you're a comic book guy. Um, I, I'm I, I'm not like really well versed in comic book lore, but I did hear this story about Colin Farrell saying like the Penguin should have a cigar, right? And Warner Brothers just being like, under no circumstances can we show you smoking. So like. But then the movie is all about, like, drug addiction and stuff, but everyone's just, like, abusing eye drops because that's, like, a PG-13-friendly sort of fantasy version of drug addiction. It's just weird things like that. Or, like, yeah. Lux was implying that there, there's a bunch of stuff in this movie about sex work, but they can't they can't actually show that, and not necessarily that they need to show that or they need mm. to show nudity, but they, they don't even, like... They only allude to it, and the most directly they allude to it is when Batman says something very prudish, like, uh, how, "How could you compromise yourself?" Yeah, compromise yourself. Yeah, like they can't they can't even say the things that they're talking about. So it does it does kind of feel like it's really, it, you know, it's it's just weird like that. Mm, so I guess that's your first impressions then, Raymond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I agree a hundred. Like I said, when when Lux said this feels hamstrung, I I feel one hundred percent. I I I agree with him on that one, and I think that more so. The, the I I also agree with him that there's it's occasionally brilliant. I think it's really well directed. I think the actors mm. are game. There's a lot to like about the film, and you know, like like we said, we'll get into that, but. One of the things that I, I I'm enjoying the movie for what it is, and you know, I think my big takeaway from it would have been like, oh yeah, you know, it's a Batman movie, whatever. Hmm. But there was something I saw in the theater after the movie that stuck with me more than any one thing from the movie, which was a kid in Batman pajamas sleeping on his mom's shoulder, being carried out of the theater after the credits rolled, and it just made me think of like, have you seen the Lego Batman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
There's this this scene in Lego Batman where Alfred is like, you're in a weird mood, Mr. Wayne. Uh, I've seen you in so many different moods. And then he just recounts all the different adaptations of Batman <laughs> to, to serve yeah. as like the different moods that he's seen Master Wayne in, you know, all the way back to the goofiness of Adam West or in that movie, I think they say something like, and then that weird period in the 60s or whatever. And... As adaptable as this character is, I feel like however many different takes we've gotten on him, for the last like five or six movies he's appeared in, other than Lego Batman, it all just feels like different shades of Christopher Nolan. So this Mm. movie at three hours long at times feels monotonous, but then it also kind of seems monotonous within a greater cultural context, because even though I think this... This movie is, I would say, on a par with those Christopher Nolan movies. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of those either, but it doesn't feel like there's anything fresh or exciting about this one in the way that Batman Begins felt really fresh in, in that cultural landscape. But like I said, there's still a lot of stuff I liked about it, and I'm, I'm eager to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, it's interesting. I I will say from a like an affective, emotional, sonic perspective, I was overwhelmed at times. You know, there was a lot of tension and suspension and mystery and um, a lot of surprises. I think the sound design was doing a lot of heavy lifting in this film. Um, I felt maybe a little too much to the point where it was almost like were were this was the sound design kind of making up for the lack of um, emotional tension that should have been built in more in the script. Like, um, my partner and I were talking about it. We really didn't buy the Alfred-Bruce relationship very, very well for whatever reason. Um, I, I don't think they set that up very well, and so I didn't really care about their reconciliation towards the end as much. Um, I also do agree with you, Raymond, about kind of this this monotony of the intellectual property it it kind of makes it so that it's like it's not it's not just that it's not fresh in some sort of abstract sense and i was trying to think like like okay so like at the very end here's a simple example for it to matter that selena kyle and bruce wayne or or catwoman and batman don't team up together and that they have that moment where that's that long drive and then they separate for it to have any sort of like pull we have to really believe that for a second she might turn around and go with him and stay or he might like kiss her or something but i didn't i didn't really think that that was an actual option because we're so familiar with the story we're so familiar with the idea that batman has to be alone we're so familiar with these things that i think it loses a lot of the tension building because we talked about it previously raymond when it's like what is the ultimate goal of the storytelling is to keep the audience like leaning in and saying what's going to happen next but we know what's going to happen next right and so i think that that makes it really difficult to tell a story now there were certain parts in the film where i did wonder specifically in this film what going to happen next right um there were definitely moments like how is batman going to meet the riddle how is he going to solve the the puzzles like those things had some moments of intrigue but i just think that there is a little bit of and this is part and parcel of the fatigue of just being fed the same stuff over and over again but also probably something to do with the kind of um maybe just some of the 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 lack of dynamism in this particular script itself so all that to say i don't know i left left it and i feel like as a spectacle i was overwhelmed and it really fucking nailed me 
Um, and then I was trying my best to keep up with the themes, justice, vengeance, etc., etc., the typical themes that surround the Batman uh, IP. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if this, like, I agree too that I think maybe this one is on par with a lot of the Nolan films. Like, it's maybe even better than a couple of them in some ways. But it's like, but I, I don't know what we're supposed to take away from this as, as a piece of storytelling or myth making or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think I still have to kind of settle things. Hopefully, hopefully this conversation will help. Go ahead, Lux. <laughs> well, I think on that note, this is a thing that, that I, you, you unlocked like a little sort of uh, sealed uh, sort of Elden Ring door in my brain. <laughs> uh, you brought a stone sword key to my mind palace. Um, but uh, there is a lot of parts of this movie that walk right up to the line of sort of like flipping the polarity on key conceptions of the Batman mythos. Mm-hmm. And then mm. right before they pull the trigger, are like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like the bat, the Catwoman stuff is, is sort of like that. The stuff with Thomas Wayne is very much like that. The moment where he, like, injects himself with, like, what appears to be Bane juice and beats the shit out of a guy but doesn't kill him is very much like that. But he would but he would have killed him if he didn't yeah. get pulled off. Yeah. Which was a nice mirror because Selina Kyle was going to kill um, Falcone, but then, Bat- but, but then Batman stopped her. So it was kind of like he had his principles, you don't kill, but then he was going to cross the line. Like, yeah, there, there were some moments where it was maybe interesting there. Yeah, yeah it was – and, like, that one's just like, – a lot of them are, like, justified in the context of the film – but it's very frustrating because, like you said, we've we've seen so much Batman. We've seen, especially like if you're if you're me, like if you're my age, you also grew up watching Batman the Animated Series on VHS, and you had and you watched fucking Batman Beyond after school, and then so now we got then the Nolan movies and all of this. So we've seen so much Batman, and so then every time it gets close to being like, what if we did something a little different? It's like fucking yes, please do it, and then they're like, no, 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 no. And that is a little bit frustrating, and it does kind of undercut sort of like you're saying the narrative tension of the movie because we know they're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting, um, and I still think some of the themes of justice and vengeance and the cycle of violence and order and, and what's required to establish order and then uh, there's the issues of trauma and fear and things like that that, that can – can lead to overcompensating and I think there's some really interesting ideas like at a personal level and how that gets translated into politics there's some interesting stuff there I um I just wonder I I wonder I wonder how to work through it all so uh we'll do that um but first I want to make sure that I can get through a uh synopsis in of this quite long film so it'll be a long-ish synopsis but um just for to refresh people's memory or to catch people up if you haven't seen it yet obviously spoilers 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 all the way as we always do here so um okay so on halloween gotham city mayor don mitchell jr is murdered by a man calling himself the riddler bruce wayne who has operated for two years as vigilante batman investigates alongside the police department uh led by lieutenant james gordon as the one person who is actually believing in batman they discover that there's a message left for batman by the riddle but by the riddler but commissioner pete savage berates him for allowing a vigilante to enter the crime scene and forces batman to leave soon after the riddler kills savage and leaves another message for the batman the Batman and Gordon discover that the Riddler has actually left a thumb drive in Mitchell's car containing images of Mitchell with a woman, Annika Kozlov, at the Iceberg Lounge, which is a nightclub operated by the Penguin, Mobster Carmine Falcone's lieutenant. While the Penguin pleads ignorance, Batman, the Batman I should say, uh, notices that Selina Kyle, Annika's roommate, works at the club as a waitress. So Batman follows Selina home to question Annika, 
but Annika soon disappears, so he sends Selina back to the Iceberg Lounge to search for answers. Now, through Selina, the Batman discovers that Savage was on Falcone's payroll, as is District, District Attorney Gil Coulson. So, Selina shuts off communication when Batman presses her about her relationship with Falcone. The Riddler abducts Coulson, straps a timed collar bomb to his neck, very much in Saw style, and sends him to interrupt Mitchell's funeral. When the Batman arrives, the Riddler calls him via Coulson's phone and threatens to detonate the bomb if Coulson cannot answer three riddles. Batman helps Coulson answer the first two, but Coulson refuses to answer the third, which would reveal the name of an informant. So he ends up getting his head blown off. And the Batman then uh, and Gordon deduce that the informant may actually be the the Penguin, and so they try to track him down. They discover that Maroney's operation transferred to Falcone while many of the Gotham police officers were involved. Selina, meanwhile, inadvertently exposes them when she arrives to steal some money, and as the Penguin flees, Selina discovers Annika's corpse in the trunk of a car. Batman captures Penguin, but... Turns out that he was not actually the informant. So Batman and Gordon, they follow the Riddler's trail to the ruins of an orphanage funded by Bruce, uh, Bruce's murdered parents, Thomas and Martha Wayne, where they learn that the Riddler holds a grudge against the Wayne family. Bruce's butler and caretaker, Alfred, is then hospitalized because he opens a letter bomb that was addressed to Bruce. The Riddler then leaks evidence that Thomas Wayne, who was running for mayor before he was murdered, hired Falcone to kill a journalist for threatening to reveal embarrassing details about Martha's history of mental illness. Bruce, who grew up believing that his father was this morally upstanding citizen, confronts Alfred, who confirms that the allegations are true, but states that Thomas didn't intend for Falcone to murder the journalist, but the actually he planned to turn him over to the police once he found out, and that's potentially what happened that led to Thomas Wayne's death, is that maybe Falcone knocked him off. Selina tells Batman that Falcone is her father, although Falcone doesn't know it, and she learns that Falcone actually strangled Annika because Mitchell told her that Falcone was the informant and decides to kill him, so the Batman and Gordon arrive at the Iceberg Lounge in time to stop her, but the Riddler kills Falcone as he's walked outside and brought into the light. The Riddler is soon unmasked as forensic accountant Edward Nashton and incarcerated in Arkham State Hospital, where he laments about failing to kill Bruce. He doesn't realize that Bruce is Batman, whom he idolizes and took inspiration from when targeting the corrupt. So Nashton proposes a partnership, but the Batman obviously rejects him. Now, searching his apartment, Batman learns that Nashton has stationed car bombs all around Gotham and cultivated an online following that plans to assassinate Mayor-elect Bella Real. The bomb, the bombs end up destroying these uh, walls around Gotham City, floods the city, but a shelter is set up inside an indoor area where Nashton's followers shoot but fail to kill Real. They're stopped by the Batman and Selina, and in the aftermath, Nashton befriends another inmate the Joker, anybody? While Selina deems Gotham is beyond saving and she leaves, and Batman aids in recovery efforts and vows to inspire hope in Gotham. End of a very long and winding, heavily plotted movie. All right, but before we continue, we got to do a quick shout out to our sponsor of this week's episode, Storyblocks. Look, Storyblocks is the complete stock solution. They provide an unlimited library of over a million plus royalty-free, high-quality video, audio, and images, all through cost-effective subscription plans. And the cool thing is, is that they've got subscriptions for every budget, so you can make sure that you stay on track with your project 
uh, with affordable subscriptions that really scale to meet your needs. And as I said, everything's royalty free and they've got a demand driven library, which is basically that they've got an ever growing library that constantly is optimizing and adding assets, including 4K HD footage, After Effects, and Premiere Pro templates, music images, SFX, etc., etc., etc. I use it when I create stuff for my YouTube channel, for other podcast projects. Um, Storyblocks is really pretty great. Every time I need any sort of stock footage, I go to Storyblocks, I find what I need, bingo, presto, blammo, abracadabra and i've got all the goodies so if you want to check out everything that they've got to offer go to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack and you can see everything that they have in terms of their subscription plans and all of the goodies that you can get access to that's storyblocks.com slash wisecrack or you can click the link down below Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so let's get back into the film here. Uh, first things first, this film was long. It was yeah. very long. It was too long. I, th- I thought that there were too many kind of twists and turns and things like that. And what was this, about a three-hour film, two hours and 56 minutes or something like that? Can we just not make tight, short films anymore? Like, can you just not make a sub-two-hour, like, epic? Is this just not possible anymore? Like, I don't, un- I don't understand the logic of this. Let's talk a little bit about this. Why is this film as long as it is? There is some frustrating screenwriting inefficiency in this movie, um, particularly, and usually when I say that, I'm talking about, like, in a mechanic level, but I'm actually speaking sort of more thematically, which is to say that, like, it felt like this movie had, like, sort of three big themes going on, sort of, like, this idea of, like, lies and how lies are necessary to create society, but what's the degree to which they're, like, they're, but there can be too many, whereas too many, like, where's that line? This idea of vengeance versus hope, and this sort of idea of, um, of kind of, like, fear... And sort of, and just like, and like what, a broader question of sort of like, what constitutes a good society? What constitutes a real, like, well-constructed world or whatever? Um, And it seems like the movie can only talk about one of those things at a time, even though they're very related. Uh, And so we end up having multiple scenes to sort of like get into like the questions of personal history and fear versus uh, hope and lies and whatever, when a lot of those things can just get talked about all at the same time. And so it ends up having sort of some, like, there are scenes with Alfred that are very much about, like, the question of, like, oh, that's the other theme. It's sort of, like, how we narrativize our own lives and, like, we fantasize about people we don't know. Yes. Um, and so there's, like, Alfred scenes where, like, that's what we're talking about. And we're not talking about fear into the city. And we're not talking about hope and vengeance. And then we've another scenes with Selena Kyle. We're talking about hope and vengeance. We're not talking about personal historic- historicity. <laughs> and we're not talking about uh, lies and the construction of society. And it's, like, they can only talk about one thing at once. So if they want to get all their shit in... Um, then they have to have more scenes. And that's one of the movie's big failings to me, I think, is that you're trying to make this, like, taut mystery, but people keep having to have these long, meandering conversations about, like, ideas, which is fine in a different kind of movie, but it doesn't really work here, especially when the mystery, like... Especially when the mystery's clues aren't even, like, that tricky. There are a bunch of them that Batman solves because, like, the guy who's supposed to solve them is, like, just okay at their job instead of above average. And Batman's, like, a little smarter than your regular guy. And he's there's, like, I get there's, it. There's a great scene where Jim Jim Gordon goes, um, Oh, I've got one of, one of the Riddler's Hallmark cards here. It says, um, 
you know, what's what's kind of like a rat, but has wings and hangs in a cave and has fangs and <laughs> bites people and flies around. Uh, I can make heads or tails of it. What about you, Batman? <laughs> and then Batman takes 15 minutes to figure it out. It's like, and and here's, so I, I'm not, like I said, not a big comic book guy. Michael, I know that you are. Um, it, to me, isn't the notion that I get from the Riddler, not only in this film, but the, my sort of popular understanding of him, is that the riddles aren't supposed to be hard. It's it's the truths that he's revealing are hard, right? Yeah. That or it's, the... he's, he's kind of trying to point you towards acknowledging very uncomfortable truths that are right in front of you, right? That or that solving the riddle is a series of... That the real riddle is why he's asking you to solve all these riddles and that the answer is to lure you into some sneaky trap. Sure. Um, it's one of those two arrangements usually, yeah. And but... Especially in this film, it seems like the former, that he's yeah. he's trying to illustrate a point and he's just doing it in a very theatrical manner. So it's, it is weird to me every time they pick one of these, like, they pick up one of these fucking cards and they have to spend an hour and a half scratching their heads over it. I'm like, is that really the... I don't feel like the point of the movie is solving <laughs> riddles. I mean, They're... so much so that there's the scene where he comes down and Alfred is working on the cipher... And he goes, what are you doing? Oh, I'm working on this cipher. How are you doing it? Well, I'm looking for these letters. I'm looking for double symbols, blah, 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 blah. Goes through, like, you know, cipher or code cracking 101, whatever. cryptography in. Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> two minutes later, Batman goes, oh, I put it into a computer, and actually that, that dog won't hunt. We're looking for a shape. We're not looking for what the actual letters mean. And it's just like... Oh, okay. Cool. Like, yeah, it's there's... just one of those things of, like, every single time the movie's like, pay attention to the puzzle, and then it just completely dispenses with that two minutes later, and it's like, yeah, you could have cut some of this shit out. Yeah, it's very crazy. Like, the the He Lies Still one, I, I was like, anytime your movie has a riddle, and I solve the riddle, like, a scene before the movie does, like, you fucked up. Like, that's, <laughs> uh, especially because I'm, like, not good yeah. at riddles. Oh, I'm not <laughs> what's, like, what's a rat with wings? Is it a, is it is it a is it a penguin? It's like I know this is supposed to be like New York City, but fucking rats rats are not the size of penguins, sir. That's like a dog a with bat. wings. A bat or a, bat, a pigeon? A yeah, a pigeon, a pigeon, a seagull, seagulls. Um, it could be anything. And and, and it gets yeah. to, it gets to the point too where like this is. Oh, sorry to cut you off. What were you gonna say? No, no, go ahead. No, all, no, no, all no was, go ahead. One one of the things that I I genuinely love about this movie that it's not it just doesn't lean into it doesn't turn doesn't turn the crank quite hard enough is that i think genuinely batman's kind of like a fuck up in this i yeah, like I, like that's the one sort of subversive aspect of this film is that like he's not good at being batman yet but anytime they so like for example when he's escaping uh, the police department he flies down, and I love the tactility of that, that he has this sort of, like, break-in-case-of-emergency squirrel suit, that it's not its not like Christopher Nolan where he can just glide everywhere with, like, an electrified cape. He has to essentially base jump out of this situation. And I love that aspect of it. And then he opens his chute too late, and he completely eats shit when he falls. And that's, that's like, it's a really funny moment, but it doesn't it doesn't actually turn into an obstacle or a problem. He still makes good his escape. And the same thing happens, like, when he fires up the Batmobile, he floods the engine, and the Batmobile stalls, which is just a really funny moment, but then he still gets it to cooperate, and he catches up with the Penguin ten minutes later. And it's just one of those Mm. things where, like, 
I, 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 I talk about the Mission Impossible movies a lot because I think they're just like perfect blockbuster narrative economy. I think they're they're like the gold standard for what blockbuster movies can be. And those movies have really only gotten better with age because they acknowledge the fact that Tom Cruise and by extension Ethan Hunt have lost a step. And in those movies they use that to create new obstacles and new like new narrative momentum like he fucks this up mm. therefore they have to try plan b but they don't really have a great plan b so they have to build plan c while the plane is in the air and every time this movie presents something kind of subversive like that they they resolve it pretty much within the same scene it's just like yeah he eats shit on his base jump but he still just kind of dusts it off and we're on to the next scene or he his Batmobile stalls out, but he still catches him in a in a thrilling car chase. And I just wish they would lean into the like he sucks at this of it all. Yeah, there's a weird thing where they have where they have Batman on kind of a gradient of invincibility, which you can't really have, right? Like invincibility is a binary question, either you are or you aren't. But they want to have it both ways, where he's like vulnerable and can fail and be hurt, but not really. Anytime he's vulnerable or fails and is hurt, he's okay anyway. <laughs> um, and it's that you're right that 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 and like the thematic kind of myopia that that takes over some scenes between those things and like the nature of the riddles taking too long, all that stuff. It just makes this movie take way longer than it has to. And like that's one of the frustrating things with this movie is that there are moments in this movie that make it very clear that Matt Reeves can do the thing that is what filmmaking is, which is basically an exercise in emotional manipulation. Like, Matt Reeves can make you think and feel the thing Matt Reeves wants you to think and feel in various moments of this movie. It is very clear that he has the technique and capacity for doing that, but is not doing it throughout the entire movie. And there are parts where things like we're discussing right now kind of are exactly what blow that from from working. Like, there's some scenes in this movie that are fucking masterfully done. Um, and then it's just sort of like there are other scenes where it's like, why did we do that? What's one? What's one of your favorites? Mm. What's one of your favorite scenes in the movie? I feel like uh, we're coming out hot, but I did like a lot of this movie. Yeah, I liked a lot of it. I really enjoyed just the op- uh, the opening part where it's showing the different criminals, even though they're kind of silly criminals, and it's showing them as though they're in a horror movie, like looking around corners or reacting to sounds. Puts us in a really good like. Here comes the Batman stuff. I loved that. I loved Bruce and uh, the Riddler in Arkham. I thought that scene was really great. Um, also the action scene where the gunshots are lighting up the hallway, yeah. uh, is very it's a much really like a well-conceived sequence. Yeah. It's really and it's one of those things where like the movie is really proud of that scene. And a lot of times when movies are really proud of a scene, I'm like, fuck off. But this time it's like, no, you earned it. Like you should be really yeah. proud of that scene. That shit is amazing. It, the, the Batmobile chase, you know, that I brought up, like, I, I think this movie is, is very intentionally funny throughout. Like, I think there's some really good stuff like that, but I also like that. It, you know, in the Christopher Nolan movies, the Batmobile is essentially like a tank. You know, it's 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 a weapon in a way. But in this movie, the Batmobile is like a fucking demon, and I just like I I like the menace of it. I like that it's they're not fetishizing the car. It's just noise and shadow and fire, mm. and like you just you fucking hear it coming before you see it, and then it bursts through a wall of flame, and Colin Farrell is just like stuck upside down. It is like a horror movie. He's just watching Doom just fucking scream towards him. I like I, I like so much of this movie. And there are so many of these sequences that like individually feel fucking brilliant that it's really frustrating that it, it, it still feels weighed down. It feels like it can't achieve like escape velocity. All right, it's time to give a shout out to our sponsors, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives and where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. 
This is why Skillshare is really so cool, is because you can unleash your creativity and you can pursue passions right from the comfort of your own home. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people on topics such as iPhone photography and film editing, drone filming, um, podcast editing, digital design, UX, UI, artivism, which is like the intersection of art and activism for social change, all kinds of things, videos for Instagram and TikTok, etc., etc., etc. So if you want to explore your creativity and connect with some really cool people, go to skillshare.com smtm and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. That's skillshare.com smtm and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. Or of course you can click the link down below. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I, I kind of thought too that... Um like I, I enjoyed the car scene, the, the chase scene because it kind of felt like you know the old the old car chase scenes. You know, like obviously it was big explosions and things like that, but it did have like a real sort of tangible physicality to it that I thought was really kind of nice. That that uh, you know Tarantino when he when he was making like his car scene car chase scenes. What is it like death death proof? Yeah, yeah. where he was like you know it's this is like a shout out to like the old car chase oh, yeah. scenes from like my, the seventies. My favorite Tarantino like film. Whoa. Yeah, and and I and I kind of felt that in this that there were definitely some really cool, obvious, practical stunts that they did that were really that were really kind of cool. So I actually really did enjoy the chase, even though it was prolonged. And I thought, okay, for some reason that sequence where they go to like bust the bust the drug dealers and he runs into to Selena Kyle and she like steals the money that seems really kind of drawn out and long and then the kind of build up where the car like kind of stalls and then it chases like it just felt a little bit like like okay so i had an acting teacher once who used to say when there's a great line like especially like a punchline of of a comedy line that you've got to land he was scottish and he said don't squeeze your arsehole and what he meant by that was just let it land. Like if it's well written, you don't need to overemphasize it. You don't need to wink, wink, kind of like ah, ah, that's the. I felt like that this film far too often tried to stick every single landing and stick its arms up in the air, like celebrate, you know. And I don't know. For me, that 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 kind of takes away from the dramatic tension a little bit because then I get there and I'm like, okay, keep it moving, keep it moving, and it doesn't do that you know yeah i can even think of a single scene to go back to the base jumping scene actually that has that happen in it because the crane shot from behind in the base jumping scene is majestic it is fucking extraordinary there's cars underneath there's office lighting there's this black and yellow kind of contrasty shit going on there's shadows everywhere he's swooping through the air it's it's like everything i want to see from a batman it is a man who is acting like a bat in a spooky evil city. It's <laughs> we love fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. And then every so often they flip to a shot of a fucking overhead rig right in front a of Robert very, Pattinson's very face. bizarre composition. Blow, yeah. Blown out, I, white out Robert not... Pattinson, top like eighth of his head cut off on the frame. And that felt to me like them being like, 
see what we're doing here? See how we're doing it? Like, very, like, putting their hands up and sharing when it's like, you had a perfect composition. Like, you didn't... And, and like you were saying, Raymond, and you also have a scene that's, like, dramatically composed in a really effective way. Like, you don't have to squeeze your arsehole about it. Like, you can just execute the scene and you have the technical know-how to do it because you did it in these other compositions. So, like, why do we have to, like, really flex on this? And the flexing on it detracts from the scene because then instead of me being like, holy moly, this dive through the city has such height and tension and majesty, I'm like, God, Robert Pattinson looks like dog shit in this close-up. This sucks. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing. Like, you see this so often with the big Marvel films is you actually lose the size and the scope of the landscape because they really want to give you those mids and those close those close shots of – the people. It's all about the subjects and subjectivity. Gotta get your money's worth Whereas, with those uh, stars there. That's it, man. And and I, if a shot is supposed to be intentional and it's supposed to be something that drives the narrative forward, I'm so glad you brought that up, Lux, because that exact shot for me, it took me out of it. When I saw what I was like, what is that GoPro footage on the base jumper's face? Like, I would rather, like, I don't understand the value in seeing his face here. He wasn't horrified. It wasn't excitement. It wasn't, there wasn't fear. There wasn't, uh, like, doubt. There was nothing interesting about that shot except for. Or it's the guy from you know the 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 TV. It's the TV box guy. Like let me see the pretty guy the pretty guy's face. You know. So I, I things like that just take you out of it rather than keep the flow going in like a really nice kind of fluid fluid and dynamic manner. Christopher McQuarrie has tells this story about how when they would workshop certain Mission Impossible beats that they they would always like anytime they would hire someone to to come in and pitch ideas and stuff. They had this joke that like, okay, we close the door in 45 minutes, that door is going to open and they're going to tell us to put Tom Cruise in the squirrel suit. And they had been told to do that by everyone and they had thrown that idea at the wall a thousand times. But the reason they never did it was like, Tom Cruise won't do the stunt unless you can tell it's him doing the stunt. And I just kept thinking about that during that scene because it was just like, Look, we fucking know Robert Pattinson's not in there. We didn't come here to see Robert Pattinson. Like, this is this is that thing I kind of harp on every once in a while that, like, there are no movie stars anymore that, like, superheroes, you know, Iron Man is a movie star, but fucking Robert Downey Jr. can't open Doolittle. Like, Batman is a movie star. Like, we're going to go see Batman no matter who's playing him. Like, we don't need to see... Yes, exactly. We don't need to see Robert Pattinson in close-up. Like, the tension of the scene is the stunt, not in the, yeah. not in the like, conception of a bat fly. Like, it's the stunt. We want to see the stunt. And and I do, I do think there, there is such a great sense of, like, tactility and texture. Like, even down to the process-oriented stuff early on when, like... They show Catwoman breaking a safe open. Oh, so and good. Yeah, and that's mm. just really, it's just really simple, really slick filmmaking. It's just, she lays out all of her tools, she spins the thing on there, and da 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 ding before mm. you know, the safe is open. And there's just a great sense of texture, the sound design is wonderful, everything's on point. The first time, Lux, you, you referred to the moment when Batman comes out of the shadows and beats the shit out of all those guys on the, yeah, the, on the subway were, the train. The kids were playing the knockout game, shouts out to yeah. 2014. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and he appears from the shadows, and he just goes insane on those guys. And it it reminded me even more of the like the those Batman video games, the, yeah, Arkham, the Arkham, games, Arkham Asylum, yeah. yeah. Um, more than like the Christopher Nolan ones, because there's there's a rhythm to it, and Matt Reeves is good at shooting this hand to hand action. That like 
god damn there's so there's so much about this movie that is just like fucking great and then it just it just gets like it just trips over itself constantly and i just don't i don't know how to reconcile that this is what uh my friend i forget if i said this to travis or travis said it to me because we went to go see this movie very late on thursday but that like i think there's a good argument that this is actually a better complete movie sort of like in a very technical sense than any of the nolan movies but there's no element in it that's even kind of proximate to as good as Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Like, I'll rewatch The Dark Knight for the Heath Ledger performance before I rewatch this movie, even though I think in many ways this is a better movie by many ways that I evaluate how good a movie is. Hmm. Um, and I think it's kind of like what you're saying, that like even though it has all these good parts that come together in really interesting ways, it does trip over itself and shortchange itself at like every turn, so it just doesn't quite coalesce into a thing that feels like poignant and forceful the way that, like, The Dark Knight, which I actually have some, like, pretty substantial issues with a lot of that movie, still gets able to accomplish because of how good Ledger is and how good, like, certain small elements of it are. I've I've never cared for The Dark Knight, especially, I, like, in that yes, trilogy. Yes, yes, yes! I would put I would put that one last out of those three for me because... Wow. And this is, this is not... This is man over here. This like, rules. I'm not... I, if, you, if you like it, it's fine. It's whatever. But I feel like and this is not to go on a tangent i have a point to this the dark knight rises feels more like a sequel to batman begins than the dark knight does and the reason i think i like the first and third installments in that trilogy more than dark knight is that they they don't lose sight of how inherently stupid the premise of like a guy dressing up like a bat to beat up clowns is whereas like the dark knight is just it's it's just heat with a clown and i don't care about that like I've already seen a better version of that, and it was Heat with Robert De Niro, and it, like I think that the thing the thing that gets me about this movie is that I just I I don't want to get into like the Martin Scorsese like our superhero movie cinema or whatever. Like this movie is cinema. I I think it's extremely cinematic at points. I think it's I've said it a thousand times. I think it's brilliantly done, but I just feel like there used to be movies made for adults. <laughs> And now movies for adults are like you you have to make fucking heat with Dark Knight or uh, heat with Batman or you have to make Taxi Driver with Joker or you have to make remake the entire filmography of David Fincher with Paul Dano and Robert Pattinson with this movie. And it just it's just one of those things where I feel this profound sense of loss when I'm watching it, because like like you said, opening up Lux, that this movie just goes right up to the edge of R, but doesn't really have the conviction to go over it, which just kind of feels like it, it feels like the, the people for whom this movie is being made, which is undeniably 30 year olds, they're, they are being pandered to. And they, we don't even have the benefit of this being like appealing to kids, which is why I brought up that kid sleeping on his mom's shoulder. When he let when left the room, I was just like, was this enjoyable for him? Did, like, is he just is he just asleep because the movie's over? What, at what point did he fall asleep? Is he gonna have nightmares about the Riddler bashing a guy's head in? And I like I'm not trying to be prudish. I think that kids are far more sophisticated than we give them credit for. But there is still so much in this movie that I'm like, I I just don't it, whether or not you feel your kid can handle it. I just don't think they would like it. It just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem entertaining in that way. So in my mind, it just feels like it's. It's trying to please everyone, and in so doing, really undercuts itself. It just, it, it, it just, 
it it feels incomplete it feels boxed in it feels like they're holding back or pulling their punches and it just that that becomes frustrating it, it's not dissimilar to my eternals thing which like it again like there are parts of this movie that felt like they were very close to doing like cool movie stuff and then it felt like they had to do a superhero movie thing like check a box here check a box there and it was just like you don't like you, you, I mean, you do because of how studios work and how money works and capitalism and, and entertainment is a spectacle and all this. But like, on like an aesthetic, artistic level, like you don't have to do that. Like, you shouldn't have to do that. I guess is what I mean. Um, and that that frustrates me as someone who like does make shit. One of, one of the things I've been worried about and and trying to kind of put put a finger on for the past year or so is um the sort of infantilization of cultural products and um and and i think i think it's a good thing that you can repackage a superhero film and try to integrate it with um these other great voices these great storytelling efforts in cinema and art i think that's actually a really interesting thing right rather than just telling kind of an even more sort of maybe a conceptually impoverished story but i think the problem is is when you don't make the decision that this is going to be very clear in its concepts or its designing principles and therefore it's going to be pitched at a certain level you end up waffling and what you get is a sort of muddled conceptual and aesthetic project and one of the things that i would celebrate the dark knight on is i think that it was very clear on creating its concepts right now at the time when it came out i thought it was brilliant i i still think it's interesting but at the time when it came out before i had kind of developed certain cinematic languages and certain philosophical and and political languages and and and, and understandings um, I thought that it was really hitting at something quite interesting because you have Batman who's like the super cop um, and then you have uh, this figure of of the Joker who's very enigmatic and what is it pure chaos is it anarchy you had all the Deluzians talking about fucking rhizomes and lines of flight and you had all the fucking uh, you know like uh, political economists and state theorists talking about order and justice and the the conflicts between the two and so it led to some really like intelligent mature discourse this film i'm not really sure that it has a sure handle on what it's even trying to espouse batman when he's first brought out they say what are you trying to be he says i'm vengeance and then there's this return again to the guy that he beats the shit out of at the very end when they're like who are you and he laughs and he says i'm vengeance and we're supposed to be like oh this is when batman realizes that the cycle of violence is going to continue if you use punitive justice and that that doesn't work. And, and, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm just not sure that that's a very elegant and, and really mature conceptual uh, 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 set of ideas for us to wrestle through because I'm not really sure that, and this goes back to what Lux said, I'm not really sure that we're ever really threatened to think that Batman's identity uh, or or the, the code or whatever is really going to be ripped out from underneath him. Like, sure, you get a little bit of like that internal, like I'm dealing with my trauma with my dad and I thought my dad was good, but okay, maybe he wasn't so great. He was corrupt. And so my ideals about the city, it's almost there. It's like it's there, but it's there in such broad strokes that it just didn't grip me in 
enough. And I think that this is all kind of part and parcel of this infantilization. We just don't think that people are strong enough or smart enough or mature enough to handle things. And I just don't think that's true. And, and it depends. I think it depends somewhat on how that is borne out, because I, I kind of like the idea of you know, whatever, one of these fucking movies in the past 20 years said something about like, you know, when there's superheroes, supervillains, superheroes create supervillains or whatever. Or maybe that's just, I, I don't mm. know that was where the that. That was Age of Ultron, a movie that had almost nothing good except for that one line in it. Okay, maybe maybe that's what, but there there is some, you know, some truth to that where it's just like, okay, there, for whatever reason, when someone emerges from the shadows to fight petty crime or whatever, like Batman is not a response to the Joker. The Joker is a response to Batman. And I do I do kind of like that, but they don't really examine it very fruitfully in this film. I, I like that there's this weird parasocial relationship with the Riddler that he's he is this this movie's version of the guys in hockey pants at the beginning of the Dark Knight where like he thinks that he's doing what Batman's doing, that he's you know, he's doing a public good or, or he's bent his mind in, in that direction to think like he tells him, like, I thought we were in this together. Like, I, you know, you, we, we need each other. There's the symbiosis that every single one of these movies kind of plays with post Dark Knight. Um, but it, it it is I, I, I'm curious what they're going to do with that, though, because like you said, Austin, if that does stir an awakening in him that will be borne out in movies two and three then okay i could see that i could see that developing in a really interesting direction but it just reminds me of that eddie izzard bit where where she talks about how like every episode of kung fu kane spends the entire time being like no i shall not choose violence i shall not choose violence and then the last 5 minutes he chooses violence and it, it is one of those things where i'm like how meaningfully can they can they follow that instinct in movies 2 and 3 is batman just going to become like a non-violent is he going to become a peaceful superhero yeah, like there's bat gandhi yeah, eventually the rubber hits the road and Batman has to punch criminal like that or else it's not Batman and people will flip well, their legs. Or, or he has to when he says at the beginning when he's doing his like when he's reading or writing his journal, he basically talks about like how he is a symbol of the panopticon, right? Yes. That uh that the that the bad guys don't know if he's ever lurking around the corner. I can't be so everywhere, but constant... I could be anywhere. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's he because he is the ultimate instantiation of order with a capital O, he can never transcend that or he would not be what he is. Which I was hoping, I was actually hoping that this film would allow some sort of deconstruction of the need of some sort of super cop. I kind of was hoping that that would be the case. It almost gets there. Yeah. But again, it's... I'm it's the waffling. You said waffling, Raymond. You you, you very much like like elucidated the waffling. Like it's the it consistently is like setting up one thing and then flipping it for least interesting outcome. The thing that drove me maybe the most insane in this whole movie. I don't know how we've been talking for almost an hour and I haven't mentioned it yet because I was livid about it when I left the theater. Is fucking Alfred gets exploded. Um, he's in the hospital. Bruce goes to go see John Turturro. Is like John Turturro. Fucking tell me about my dad. And John Turturro's like, your dad's actually a nasty guy. And he was doing all kinds of crime stuff with me, the bad guy. And then he was like, no, my papa. Cut to 
Bruce Wayne, the next scene is in the hospital with Alfred, who wakes up, and the first thing Bruce, who I'm not unconvinced may or may not be on the spectrum in this movie, uh, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, the first thing that Bruce Wayne says to Alfred when he wakes up, you lied to me. Uh, the, the guy gets out of a coma, and the first thing he says is, you lied to me. And so we never get a scene where Batman even has to consider the possibility that his dad was a bad guy. We go straight from him learning it to him learning it's not true. And that's like this quintessential waffling well, of this. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. And I, I basically agree with you. Although I think a, a more charitable reading of that scene would be like, he doesn't necessarily learn that it's not true. He just, he has maybe been lied to from someone who has it out for Thomas Wayne and someone who wants to protect Thomas Wayne's image in quick succession. Yeah, but we still don't get he he. But he buys Alfred's account, right? Whether sure. whether whether or not he buys Alfred's account. So we, the, the thing that is truly galling, whether the truth or rather claim aside, is that the thing that was dramatically interesting to me there that would have done the sort of subversive stuff that you're talking about, Austin, that would have sort of challenged the question of super cop and authority and power would have been him having to sit there and be like, "Was my dad a good guy? Is what I'm doing good? Are the things I care about good? Like, what's even the point of any of this? And instead, he just shows up, yells at a guy who was just in a coma, and then gets told it's fine. Yeah. Um, and that is a total flip-flop on it, and that's how it treats all this stuff. And that's why I think, uh, also, what you're getting at is so is so precisely true, is that, like, there's just... It sets up so many things to deconstruct. It even implies, like, maybe social services prevent crime better than super cops do. Does not go any further than saying maybe about that. Like... It's there's so many spots where this movie could be challenging the base assumptions of Batman in ways that are very 2022 and ways that are very fun and it doesn't. All right, it's time to shout out sponsor for this week's episode, Manscaped. All right, so Manscaped is legit the best in men's below the waist grooming. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Heh. <laughs> I made a rhyme. Anyway, Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle. It's called the Performance Package. And right now, you can join over 4 million men worldwide who also trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. And it basically, if you want to do this and you want to use the code SHOWME at manscaped.com, you're going to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. So that's 20% off and free worldwide shipping to get this Performance Package. And you'll join 4 million dudes, which is... If my math is right, that's 8 million balls getting taken care of. Now, I don't know if you guys are are trimming connoisseurs or experts or not, but I have definitely nicked myself. That's right. I have nicked myself, and if you are a if you are a ball haver and you are listening to this, then I know that you have collectively all groaned right now. So, um um yeah, it's not fun. Um it bleeds a lot. And it basically means you're out of commission for any intimate times for a little bit of time while you heal. Because actually, I've trimmed, I've, I've nicked not just the actual carriage, but I've also the the in-between, like, on the shafty part. It's Listen, it was bad, okay? So this is why it's a good idea to get some high-tech trimming gear from Manscaped so that you will ensure that you are always clean and fresh and also so that you don't bleed all over yourself. Um, and the great thing too is that it's waterproof. So because it's waterproof, because the trimmer's waterproof, you don't have to like, you know, shed your hair all over the bathroom floor and then worry about sweeping and then vacuuming or whatever it is, right? So anyway, make sure that you go to manscaped.com and use the code SHOWME and you are going to get 20% off with free shipping. So that's manscaped.com, code SHOWME. All right, 
Back to the show. And it doesn't. It says social services inevitably will be corrupted. Therefore, what you need is the super cop to what come in and reinstitute it. Punching everyone. That's right. Which is which is the fucking the state of exception. You need the state. You need some figure that represents the state to come in and set order um, erect well, n- again. Not even the state, and but like I think essential that's... moral law. Like because the state's fucked up. It's that's just right. like this essential moral law from like above or like this like true right. moral the rules it, it, it the rules based yeah. it's not, international it's not order it's not, <laughs> jesus fucking yeah, christ it's not, <laughs> it's not it's not real politics at all you know because because the state's corrupt the police are corrupt and the only thing that can transcend all of that is the kind of moral purity of the Batman. The one thing that I thought was so interesting that this film should have explored more and I think is there is that actually even that moral order is just some sort of obsessive um, coping mechanism of a guy who is traumatically affected by the murder of his parents. That's interesting. Where it's the trauma that leads to you projecting the need for a god figure, which you then come to embody in like your sort of participation as being the conduit of that idea. That's what's interesting. And then the deconstruction of that where then you say, oh fuck, so I'm actually just pathological. That is what would be – if they landed that, if they stuck that, and if they really drove that part home, that would be cool. And that's almost what you get in that binary with him and the Riddler. But the problem is is they scapegoat the Riddler and they say, no, 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 no. That's actually – he's just mad. He's just crazy, right? Like Foucault is just everywhere in this fucking film right now, right? Like it's just – no, no, no. We're just we'll, just – we'll just pathologize the bad one, the crazy one. But actually we're still going to reinstitute the order on the other side. And that's where it almost gets super interesting to me. And then I'm like, hmm – I, we just we really we really have lack of kind of a creative imagination in our storytelling and in our myth telling. We always have to go back to that kind of like conservative, nostalgic need for a god. I apologize for being a big communist on the podcast, but effectively, <laughs> fucking the Riddler and his friends are just like QAnon freaks, and then fucking Batman's just yes. like Joe Biden refund the police. Like those yes. are the polls that this movie presents to you as like ideas of justice. And for like, and it That's never right. engages with anything beyond that. And boy, does that steam my bean because I don't think yes. either of those are very good approaches to politics. <laughs> this to to tie it all together, there there is this this lip service that he pays to it at the very beginning of the movie in his journal entry, where he says like. I've been doing this for two years and uh, Gotham sucks even worse than it did when I started. And he's like, uh, what should I do about that? Probably just keep doing it. I get like, there's, there's no circumspection. It's all just lip service. Yeah. And, and there is this, this thing, the scene with Alfred Lux that you perfectly illustrated is essentially the emotional equivalent of him eating shit during his base jump, but still making good his escape. There, there is this thing not only where they take Alfred for granted sidetrack. I I think, I think one of the things with the characters in this movie is that while I think it's smart for them to eschew the typical origin story, because we've seen it a thousand times, you still do have to imbue these incarnations of the character with, with like 
personalities and, and humanity and stuff for us to be invested in. But I do think the movie often trades on our familiarity with these characters as characters. And it's like when Andy Serkis, I didn't know Andy Serkis was in this. When he showed up, I was like, oh, I guess that's the new Alfred. And uh, he's just the character I've seen in 12 other movies. I don't know where this fits in the lineage of any of those. Um, but Lux, you, you bring up that thing where he openly admits that like things things have gotten worse and the the cop stuff in this it's another one of those like trying to have its cake and eat it two moments is that when he's trying to get out of the police department it's like a fucking keystone cop scene it's so really funny. really funny it's so because, funny yeah every every floor that he goes on he's using a zip line he's ascending these levels faster than anyone possibly could on foot and yet behind every single door he's met with 50 cops who all just have a hard on for arresting Batman. And then he escapes from the place. The entire movie is about how the police force is either entirely corrupt or just wants to get Batman. And then by the end of the movie, when, when they're dragging, uh, what's his name? John Turturro out of the, uh, out of the club. And he goes, Oh no, I own the cops. And then Jeffrey Wright goes, you know, not all cops, you know, like not apparently not all cops in Gotham are bad. And then he looks out, he looks out on a sea of police officers who I guess were all off work the day that they were trying to beat the shit out of Batman in the fucking precinct. And I'm just like, what is going on here? There's just this, this fundamental disconnect in this movie between what it's saying and the things it is attempting to espouse and the actual actions that it is portraying. And, and there is, there is like, there, like I said, the, the, the best aspect of this or the most subversive aspect of it is like Bruce Wayne being bad at his job. And there, there's a really great payoff to that at the end where the cop comes in and he sees the, the tool that the Riddler used to kill the first guy. And he goes, oh, that's a carpeting tool. And Batman, who was born into a fucking family of billionaires, he's never worked a day in his life, he, you know, other than fighting crime, I guess. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that it's, it, to him, mm. it's just a blunt instrument. It could have just been some tchotchke that he pulled off of a shelf or whatever. And I really like that idea of like, oh, this, this guy's a great detective because of all his fancy book learning. But then when he's confronted with like, things that he would be privileged enough to be removed from he 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 has no facility with it like he's complete he doesn't even know it's supposed to be a clue and there's another moment in the film where like he he's given these pictures of all these victims who walked out of the club and every single one of the pictures is from the same exact vantage point and at no point does any he doesn't lieutenant gordon doesn't say anything no one says hey maybe we should go try and replicate this vantage point and see where these pictures might have been taken from because they're all extraordinarily consistent across several nights maybe it's from i don't know mm. that window up there like the world's greatest detective would fucking figure that out and the world's they, most okay detective. Yeah, that out. I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible detective. I'm not a te detective at all. But when I was looking at all of those pictures from exactly the same vantage point, the first thing that went through my head was like, oh, somebody was in maybe that window. <laughs> and, yeah, totally. and I thought they were going to do something with that of like, it's so obvious. And it, it, I thought they were going to do something with that of like, Oh, well, Bruce Wayne has spent his entire life in a fucking penthouse looking down on Gotham City. Even his mission condescends to Gotham City. He's, he looks down on everyone in Gotham City. You fuckers need me to protect you. I am your fucking god. And no, it's nothing like that. It's just like, 
They never even interrogate that. It's just a thing that completely goes over his head because he's a fucking idiot. And it's a thing that completely goes over Gordon's head because he's a fucking idiot. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, this movie's not nearly as funny as it should be. And yet every time they try to be intentionally funny, it's in that vein. And it's just like, just keep fucking going in that direction because then at least it would feel fresh. It would feel like something yeah. new. It would be very fun. This movie as a whole... One example, this movie as a whole does this problem with follow through that we've like, I think that's been like the core of what we're talking about. It has a problem with follow through in like so many different ways. And another example of that that follows from what you're saying is like, so when you put Paul Dano in a movie, to me, that is a promise. And it's a promise of three things. He's going to be a snivelly little guy. He's going to cry and he's going to get the shit kicked out of him. And this movie couldn't even do that right. Because <laughs> he never gets the shit kicked out of him. He snivels and he cries and they don't complete the trifecta. And that's, like, emblematic to me, this whole thing that you're getting at, Raymond, that, like, this movie, it has this idea of, of Bruce Wayne's a failure, can't execute that all the way. It has this sort of uh, cultural critique of sort of power and ethics that Austin was talking about, can't take that all the way. It has, like, the sort of question of lies and structural issue that I was just talking about earlier, can't take that all the way. Like, none of this shit gets taken to the end point, and I think that, that actually, again, Stone Sword Key unlocking in my mind palace... That is why, even though I think in many, many ways it's a better movie than all of the Christopher Nolan movies, I will still watch the Christopher Nolan movies before I rewatch this one, because they at least got to the end of their idea. Like, even if I don't... Yeah, this is great. I, 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 I Like we said, I wonder if it's because it sets up too many binaries, right? So I'm thinking, like, like going back to, like, the ethic, the social ethic, the political ethic, the, the missing component in all of this that you guys have kind of briefly touched on a few times is that there's no political economic critique what is fucking right? Right, what's bella's fucking platform man <laughs> what's yes. what's the platform and and when she just says like we're protecting it's, it's there's two there's two powers there's the state and there's the ideals of justice and good whatever that means and then there's crime and they're drug dealers and they're bad and they're petty crime and then there's big crime but other than that and and sometimes somehow the petty crime the criminals and the big crime they're they're threatening something but what are they threatening well in this movie they're just threatening justice the idea of justice but what they're not actually threatening are working class lives or they're not threatening infrastructure spending or or infrastructure um uh, effects uh they're not actually threatening things so when bella real says like you know like this is we, we got to protect our city we got to protect you it's about you it's so generic that i think we're meant to just fill in the gaps and the gaps that we can fill in are just what everyday capitalist social relations so again we're just supposed to nod along as though we know what this world is but there's no real kind of investigation of the social relations, the economic relations, the political economic relations. Whereas in the Batman trilogy, with no, in the Nolan trilogy, you clearly have that, especially in the third film, right? That there is this financial, uh, economic, integrated system that is corrupt. And so you get it, right? So you get that it's a working class or everyday person type of appeal that leads to Bane's revolt. Where in this, you don't really get a sense that there is a city. It's just an ideal and then criminals and then the rest of you you guys we're, we're trying to protect you guys from these the, the, the one versus the other yeah, I feel you like know? Yeah. this movie literally just had a part where Bella Royale is like on the news and she's like when I'm mayor we're gonna close I don't know Blackgate prison and some other jails and we're gonna open some new hospitals <laughs> and like fund some new roads and like that's it this movie would have instantly had so much more texture because then there suddenly would have been a perspective that says the perspective for Batman to attach himself to instead of hope ex nihilo. That's right. But a perspective for Batman yeah. to say, 
if people's lives are better, maybe they don't go fucking. Maybe maybe you don't get a crazy quest for a calendar man. Even her debate in a city with public health. Even her debate with Mitchell. Yeah. Even her debate with Mitchell. I was like, what are these people opposed to? Yeah, hundred percent. And the the thing is, is like the only time the closest that she comes to espousing anything like approaching a platform is she goes up to Bruce Wayne at a funeral and she goes, "Hey, your family used to give a lot of money." to philanthropic endeavors and i feel like you guys aren't doing that anymore and it's like uh, okay yeah. <laughs> like, He's like and oh, it is, sorry i'm batman yeah it's it's well yeah and then it's like and then it's like okay so you're trying to enlist the billionaire for philanthropy that doesn't exactly and that's what i was about any, like, to say is that it, it you know the movie wants us to believe that she's a progressive figure but the only the only thing that the, the reason that i bring that up the only thing we get a glimpse into is like she's encouraging more philanthropy within the city rather than like like you said lex proper like systemic foundational change with it like and how and and how to affect that change and what why isn't there a fucking scene with her on tv saying like we're we're going to tax people like uh bruce wayne bruce wayne's gonna pay his fair share like <laughs> yeah give, why do make, we pay 30 billion dollars a year for black gay prison when every criminal breaks out of it every 20 minutes yeah and there's this is why but this is why corruption narratives are ultimately hollow and vacuous because corruption narratives never actually get to the real material structural causes yes. you can't just be like oh it's billionaires who are corrupt because they're corrupting politicians because then you're just dealing at the level of ideals rather than actually working with the machinations of social production and 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 the movie won't won't go in that direction so but if it did if it showed her being you know antagonistic towards the capitalist class it would actually mean something when bruce wayne potentially sacrifices his life to save hers and then he becomes a part of the effort for the greater good and and i i just want to say like I got pretty worked up a minute ago, and it's not because I'm all that invested in the goings-on of the fictional Gotham City. It's because of stuff like this. It's because of it, because big movies like this they want to like they want to coast on the goodwill of progressive politics and and the sort of you know like cultural groundswell that that sort of circles those things. And they, they want to capitalize on those things, but they're not willing to actually say anything meaningful about it. They're not willing to pick a side. It's just all this lip service that's that's sort of geared in that direction. It's kind of coded as progressive. But then when push comes to shove, it just, like so much in this movie, it just doesn't really have the strength of its convictions. And I find that personally frustrating in a way that just, it feels very pandery. Like, you, you may love this movie. This movie seems to be doing really well. Like, a lot of people are talking about how much they dig it. You know, fine. That's great. Like, like it takes all kinds of kinds, but don't don't mistake this. Like the the reason that this movie is aimed at thirty year olds is because fucking eight year olds don't have jobs. Like, it, it this is just it's it, it's just very very pandery. It just reminds me of like I haven't seen that Ghostbusters Afterlife movie, but the trailer for it that's like so reverent and so just like gauzy and nostalgic and stuff. And I'm like, this is a fucking movie series that started with. Dan Aykroyd getting his dick sucked by a ghost. Like, can we can we stop pretending that this is like high drama or whatever? Like, just let it go. And I just kind of feel the same way about this. It's just like, I mean, there's some funny stuff in this, but overall, it just it feels joyless and grim. And I'm just like, if if you're not gonna say anything, at least do something fun. At least fucking be in, be entertaining. Like, make the kids movies for kids again. 
And how interesting would it be if they really start to tease out the the, the, the difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman itself or themselves, right? Whereas Bruce Wayne is somebody who gets attacked and maybe as Bruce Wayne he even starts to realize, fuck, okay, um, we are corrupt and there is something there is something wrong with this. Therefore we need to look at the kind of like socioeconomic conditions that lead to this. And then you have Batman who still has to be that symbol. And then you get that tension and then they bleed into each other. And that's where you can create kind of some interesting tension, I think, with the figure of the Batman. Yeah, fucking, that might be something Bruce Wayne you know? goes to a transformative justice meeting and then at night dresses up as a bat and beats <laughs> up drug dealers and he's like, how do I reconcile this? Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I got, I also got heated up there for a minute ago and I'll say it's because of all the shit Raymond said and also it's been like an hour and 20 minutes since I've had a cigarette so I tend to get cranky. <laughs> um, well, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let Lux, we'll give you the last word. Uh, give us the final word on this. We're, we're running a little long here so I give us the final word. this is a movie, I think Raymond really, I've, I don't know how to follow what Raymond said because I think he absolutely nailed where I'm coming from. I think this is a movie that embodies a lot it it is a really well executed movie the technique elements of this movie the technical elements of this movie the direction the performance the cinematography the sound design set design etc is all way above average or what I would consider average for a superhero movie yeah. across the board in that respect but in sort of its conceptual work and its follow through and sort of its depth of of sort of uh, ideals it it falls into that same kind of morass as everything else and I find myself very frustrated by that because I love to be I love to be engaged by cinema technique. And there's a lot of technique in this movie. And I love when technique is transportative and it allows me to kind of open my brain to like open this sort of like tube from my brain to the film's brain and like let these juices flow. And when my brain's like pumping out classic Lux communist bullshit and like and like, you know, fucking film theory shit at this movie, and all I'm getting back is sort of like it doesn't matter if politicians have ideas. And what if the Riddler was QAnon and he had 500 followers? Like, Which like, was a very funny scene. Yeah, what if, how scary that the Riddler was, has 100 great. more followers than me? Oh. I love that he's like, hey, I just want to give a shout out. Thanks so much for helping me get that. was so yeah. fucking funny. And I wish yeah. the movie had more of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, and that's what's giving back. It becomes really frustrating because mm. it does all the work to put me in the space to be so receptive to whatever it's doing. And I think that's like 80% of the movie's work, like of any movie's work, is to put you in that space where you're receptive to what it wants you to take from it. And then to serve mm. up a big fat plate of like nothing with a side of dog shit is like a pretty rough beat, uh, even in IMAX, I'll say. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, to me, that's that's the ultimate takeaway is that this is a really well done movie. I enjoyed it. I sound more down on it than I am, I think. I thought, every, I thought everything about it also was really great. But, like, it's just, like, when a movie is that good in so many ways and still feels this hollow, it's particularly striking and particularly affecting to me as, like, a person who both watches and makes movies. I think that's yeah. my ultimate yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I walked out of the film and I felt stuff i felt a lot of stuff i was curious i was talking my girl and i were talking we were we were interested in some themes and things like that so there was clearly something there you know um so there was definitely something interesting there and so i i think i even sound maybe a bit more critical on the film than my experience would have like led me to believe but i think it's because ultimately it's like we've kind of reiterated multiple times here it just doesn't quite follow through on the things that it sets up now maybe that's because it's setting up for a franchise and maybe this is just part one but i just feel like if you're gonna deliver a film as a complete package 
even if it's a to be continued, there's got to be some sort of resolution. There's got to be some sort of finality. There's got to be something that you're going to give us. If, unless it's, again, like some fucking weird experimental thing where it's trying not to. But that's clearly not what this film is trying to do. It thinks it did that, but it didn't stick the landing, I think. Yeah, and, and to your point about, you know, I even talked about, man, I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll pull these threads over the next two movies or whatever. Even even if you're planning out a long game, a movie should still work as a movie. And I think yeah. that the sort of Marvel phenomenon has inured people to that because yeah. all of those movies are just exactly. trailers for twelve more movies. Yeah. And exactly. And I do I, I do just kind of lament that sort of direction of, of popular cinema in general of just like None of none of these things are meant to be their own thing. None of them are meant to stand up on their own. Like this this movie is like it's the plot of Seven with the aesthetic of uh, or the the character design of Zodiac and then Project Mayhem from Fight Club shows up at the end and I'm just like, yeah, but also like can we do Batman? <laughs> like I mean there's can we just like can, can we please just get like a a solid fucking Batman movie. This is why like, we just need to start going to the weird villains. We need Crazy Quilt. We need Calendar Man. We need Hugo the, Strange. The we need other the thing, Owl King. Yeah, one last note on this. The other thing that I think is a bummer about how all of these Batman movies, for the foreseeable future, I guess, are all so grounded, is that it, 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 it cordons off only like a group of four or five nasty little freaks who are all just basically some variation of like incel at this point. It's like, it's going to be Riddler, it's going to be Joker, it's going to be Two-Face, it's going to be Penguin, whatever. You can't, I, I like, if they just dropped fucking Man-Bat in the middle of this universe, I'd be like, okay, this will be interesting, because I don't think Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne is ready for that. He's not ready for fucking Clayface, he's not ready for, like, Killer Croc or whatever. But I just, it just bums me out, because every single time they reboot this series... It's just like, oh, who do you think the new Riddler is going to? Who do you think the new Joker is going to be? Who do you think the new whatever is going to be? I will Who's say, the if, new it is Barry, if it is Barry Keegan, as has been alleged, that'll be a good Joker. And from fuck, from yeah. what I've heard, and that one scene, that one scene, that 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 was delicious. From, just that one little bit. Uh, I yeah, don't care. But from no, what you're, I've right. Heard, you're, you're right not to, but I like Barry Keegan a lot. I well, I like. I think he's a great <laughs> actor. Too. But during that entire scene, I was like, okay, so I guess that's the Joker. I don't. I mean, whatever. But the, the I've I have heard that Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves is a huge comic book fan. Whatever. Like he comes by this stuff honest. I've heard that his reason for putting him in there was not to like tease him for the second one. This may be some misdirection in the press, but that he grew up watching the Adam West thing and the four main villains, Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler, Joker, he wanted all four of them in one movie. So he kind of dropped a cameo in there, but apparently he wants to take it in a different direction. We'll see if that, if it, once again, that could just be smoke and mirrors. Prayers up to a different direction. Okay, so we could keep going and we could keep talking about this forever, but alas, we do have to come to a close. So thank you all for tuning in to listen to our chat on the Batman. Remember that you can still email us and you can still call us. So please do, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. Or you can call us at 1213-534-8807. 1213-534-8807. You can leave us a voicemail. I say we're probably going to be doing a, a mailbag episode in March. Does that sound about right, Raymond? Do we feel like we're going to be end of March, beginning of April? When was the last one? We got it at some point. It was a while ago. 
I think I think it, we're pretty. I think we're. Hey, due. if the mailbag's full, I mean, we'll have to. That's right. So send us your questions, your thoughts, your fan theories, your analyses, and we will do a mailbag episode and we will go through all of those goodies. Also follow us on Twitter, SMTM underscore POD. Remember to check out our TikTok. And yeah, where can people find you on the internet? Raymond? Uh, Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter.com. I'm at Crematoria. You can find me on Letterboxd as well, at Crematoria. And uh, I, I just posted about this as a deep research for this podcast. I ate the Batman calzoni from Little Caesars. Uh, and if you want to know my thoughts on that, it was actually really fucking good. It was, it was, it was I ate the last calzoni and I fucking hated it. So I'm curious why the Batman was, one is different. I was kind of upset at how good it tasted. Uh, Wisecrack producer, uh, show me the meaning producer, Matt, uh, he came over to my place with former Wisecrack producer, Evan, and the three of us took down three calzonis. Uh, it was... It was pretty. It was pretty good. And then we went and saw the movie together. And uh, yeah, the calzones were good. Lex, what about you, man? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Tailboy. That's T A I L underscore B O I. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Pixel Goblins. Uh, there's a bunch of wrestling show stuff. I think the soonest one that's coming is on March 19th. Party World Wrestling will be on twitch.tv slash Party World Wrestling. Um, so by all means, check that out. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, tune into Wisecrack to see the upcoming video on the Batman that I directed, despite everything <laughs> that I just said. Um, <laughs> so please enjoy that um, and enjoy it generally, because I direct most of those videos. Uh, and hopefully someday I'll be back on this podcast to talk about a not to, to talk about something other than how I almost liked a superhero movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, Deal. We'll have to actually just let you choose a film. We'll have to invite you on and be like, you choose. You choose. Oh, oh, oh my God. The idea, uh, no, the, per, the immediate per, per, choice paralysis that set into me as soon as you yeah, said that. It's like a physical, like, move through my entire choice. body. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm Austin Hayden. You can find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, Insta, AOS underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast as well called Owls it at rules. Dawn, and we just released an episode where we did an interview with Sergei Prozorov, who is an international relations scholar from Russia who currently lives in Finland, but we talked about the war in Ukraine with him for a really long time. Really insightful, so you can check that out. It was just released. It's ep 163, but uh, yeah, Owls at Dawn. Podcast so, rules, and I right, will say Prozorov... Your- is yep. one of my favorite IR scholars to read. That's fucking crazy that you got him on the show. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, if, if we did a whole episode, a whole series on one of his books about three years ago, and uh, it was great to get him on because he's an expert in post-communist Russia and an expert on kind of the conception of world politics, what it even means to have a world and a world political order. So it was really great to have a chat with him. So, but Raymond, send us out of here, brother. Goodbye from Gotham Square Garden.